2006, October 2nd. Today is Lecture 9, Eclipses of the Sun and Moon. That will begin in just a moment. Last time we talked about phases of the moon. We talked about the angle between the Earth, the Sun, and the moon. And we said that new moon and full moon occur when the moon, the Sun, and the Earth lie along a line as viewed from above. But there was a proviso in there that the moon's orbit was tilted by five degrees with respect to the ecliptic. So it was not necessarily true, just because they were on a line looking projected from above, that they actually physically line up in the sky. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen every now and then. And when that lineup occurs, either the moon coming between the Earth and the sun, or the Earth coming between the sun and the moon, we get a spectacular event known as an eclipse, an eclipse of the sun, or an eclipse of the moon. These are some of the most striking and beautiful phenomena that you can observe with the naked eye in the sky. And for many people, they were so spectacular that predicting them became one of the early signposts of the rise of quantitative astronomy, because they're very difficult to predict without having to have a lot of time to watch what the various cycles are. So today, the key ideas that we're going to talk about are as follows. We're going to introduce the lunar eclipse. This is when the moon is eclipsed by the Earth, when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon, and the moon dives into the Earth's shadow. There are going to be three types of lunar eclipse that we can observe from the Earth, a total eclipse, a partial eclipse, and a penumbral eclipse of the moon. We're also going to talk about what the visibility of these eclipses are, where you have to be on the Earth to see them, for example. Then we'll talk about the other type of eclipse, a solar eclipse. This is the case when the sun is eclipsed by the moon. When the moon gets between the sun and the earth and you find yourself in the shadow of the moon. There are also three kinds, three basic kinds of lunar eclipse, I'm sorry, solar eclipse, total eclipse of the sun, a partial eclipse of the sun, and an annular eclipse of the sun. When the sun forms a ring, we'll see how that actually comes about. And finally, we have to ask the question of how often do eclipses occur? They clearly do not occur every single month, twice a month. If the moon and the sun and the earth were all sharing the same plane, if the tilt of the moon's orbit were exactly in the ecliptic, we would have a total eclipse of the moon every full moon and a total eclipse of the sun every new moon. So we'd have an eclipse twice a month, one lunar, one solar. But that doesn't happen. So how often do eclipses occur? And we'll introduce the idea of the eclipse year and look at the combination of three different time scales that have to come into alignment for an eclipse to occur. Now, to understand eclipses, we have to understand that we're dealing with shadows. This is a little problem of light and shadow. If I look at the sun in the sky, of course, don't look at it directly with your eyes. You'll, you'll, you'll go blind. But you can basically see from the shadows cast, if you don't want to look at the sun, put up a sharp edge stick or maybe a razor blade or something like that and hold it up and look at its shadow. The first thing you'll notice is that shadow is fuzzy edged. And the reason it's fuzzy edged is because the sun subtends about a one half degree across disk in the sky. That half degree across means that shadows are going to be not only fuzzy from razor blades and sticks, but the shadow of the earth and the shadow of the moon are also going to be fuzzy edged. The way to look at that is to draw yourself a little ray path here. The two extreme portions of the sun might be the upper limb and the lower limb as drawn in this diagram. And I'm greatly exaggerating the scale here in order for illustration because the sun is actually a lot further away than this than than the Earth. So in order to see these angles more clearly, I have to kind of just bring them together and make things bigger. From the top of the sun, 
There are two, the rays will go out in all directions, but the two that I care about are the two that intersect above and below. All the rays inside this cone land on the Earth, and they're blocked by the Earth. Outside this, the rays of light can pass by the Earth. Similarly, a second set of rays comes from the lower half of the sun. And you can even imagine drawing these pairs of rays for every point along the sun. When I do that, I get two different types of shadows, a deep, dark, total shadow and a fuzzy outer shadow. The deep inner shadow, if I'm down in here, in this sort of cone, like a dunce cap, riding behind the Earth, and I get down here inside this cone, there's no place that I can look in any direction that I'm going to see the sun. The Earth is much bigger than the sun on the sky of my observer here, and I see nothing. I call that deep dark shadow the umbra, from the Latin word for shadow, umbra. The outer shadow, the penumbra, is an outer partial shadow. And the reason it's a partial shadow is if I'm down in here, I can see part of the sun but only part, and the Earth is blocking some fraction of the sun. I go from total 100% blocking in here, but as I travel up, I begin to see a larger and larger and larger fraction of the sun until I'm exactly on this yellow line. This is the grazing line above here, when the Earth and the sun are just touching, and then when I move out here, I'm in full sunlight. And similarly back here. When I'm back this far, from my position here, far behind the Earth, even though I'm lined up perfectly on the Earth-Sun line, when I'm at this location here, the Earth is smaller on the sky than the Sun. And so what I would see is the Earth only blocking the middle of the Sun, and I'd see a bright ring or annulus of the Sun in the sky. That's why I have partial shadow back here. So the deep dark shadow is only this inner portion, this inner umbra. And then the partial shadow is the penumbra, the partial shadow. So that gives us the basic shadow geometry. I can just as easily remove the Earth from this picture and put in the moon, and I would get an identical set of umbral and penumbral shadows. The difference, of course, is because the moon is smaller, the physical size of each of these shadows would be different, both the angles and how deep this umbral shadow goes behind the Earth or behind the moon. It depends on the size of the object. So let's now look at how we get an eclipse as one body passes into the umbral shadow of the other. The two bodies are obviously the Earth and Moon as they orbit around each other. Now as the Moon passes through the, through the shadow of the Earth, if, they, if it gets in that region where it exactly lines up with the umbra or penumbra, we call that a lunar eclipse. Now because the Moon has to be on the opposite side of the sky from the Sun as seen from the Earth, we're only going to get a lunar eclipse at the time of the full moon. You don't get a lunar eclipse at any other phase. So it's exact, in fact, if you're right smack in the middle of a lunar eclipse, you're at exactly the full moon phase. Now, the Earth's umbra is fairly big. If you wanted it in round numbers, the Earth's umbra, that sort of dunce cap of darkness that stretches out behind the Earth, is about 1.4 million kilometers long. In round numbers, that's about 3.7 times the distance from the Earth to the Moon. The average Earth-Moon distance is about 380,000 kilometers. That means the Moon is able to, to enter the Earth's shadow. So if the Moon was out at 1.6 million kilometers away from the Earth, the Moon would never get fully eclipsed. It would simply never be inside that cone of the umbra. It would only have a penumbral eclipse. 
Now, if I go to the distance of the moon's orbit, the average distance of the moon, that umbral shadow of the Earth is about 9,000 kilometers in diameter. This is 2.6 times the diameter of the moon. And that tells us that when the moon does pass into the dark umbral shadow of the Earth, it becomes completely immersed in that shadow. Every single part of the moon becomes immersed in darkness. Well, not complete darkness. The umbra is actually not completely black. It's not completely dark inside of there. And the reason for that is that the Earth has an atmosphere. It's a thin skin of air. Typical height we often express in kilometers is about 50 kilometers. There's clouds. The air acts like a little lens, and it can bend sunlight around into the darkness of the shadow. And this can actually lead to some light getting into the umbra. It's actually earth shine, earth light, I'm sorry, earth light, sunlight scattered around by the earth. Now, if you've ever gone out and seen a sunset through heavy particles or through smoke, remember that sunsets tend to be very red. The reason the sky is blue is that blue light is scattered more strongly than red light. So the red light survives that passage through the atmosphere better. And so what we get is that the light that enters into the umbral shadow takes on that kind of ruddy character that you see when looking at the sun, say, through a a cloud of smoke or or heavy smog or air pollution. And so the shadow is not completely dark, but the moon takes on an almost blood red cast. And it's really spooky. It really spooked people out for a long time. What kind of eclipse you get for the moon depends upon where you hit that shadow. Remember that the Earth's The moon's orbit is tilted by five degrees. So either you're going to cut straight through the middle of the umbral shadow, or you're going to miss it in various ways. A total lunar eclipse occurs when the entire moon gets into the umbral shadow. The moon is completely immersed in shadow. It's completely immersed in darkness. Because it's 9,000 kilometers across at its widest, the moon only moves so fast, it can stay immersed within that umbra for about an hour and 40 minutes. The whole show, from the point that you notice something's happening to the moon, when it begins to enter into the outer partial shadow, the penumbra, to the time that it exits on the other side, can last about six hours. So it's a rather long show. If you're in the right position, basically anywhere on the Earth where it's darkness, you can see the eclipse occur. A partial lunar eclipse happens when the moon just misses most of the of complete immersion and only part of the moon enters that the dark umbral shadow and so we'll see a bite taken out of the moon but it never goes into its completely eclipsed dark red fade and finally there's a so-called penumbral eclipse in which the moon misses the umbra completely and just passes through the penumbra these are a little bit more common but they're also very boring because the penumbral shadow is pretty subtle Now, the human eye is a a, a remarkable uh, machine for for seeing light. But the problem with it is, is our way of judging that's really bright and that's really faint is really a very relative sense, right? I I can tell that those lights are brighter than the room here. As our eye gets dark adapted, the room lights look pretty bright. If I slapped on the fluorescence, we'd all go, ah, for a second, while our eyes adjusted to suddenly a lot brighter light. We judge brightness in a relative sense. When the moon goes into a penumbral eclipse, I have really very little standard by which to judge, oh yeah, it's gotten kind of fainter. Because, I don't know about you, but I can't remember how bright the moon is from one night to the next in an absolute sense, because I judge its brightness relative to other things. 
during a total eclipse why it, of, the, of the moon, why it's so obvious is because you see that bite taken out of the moon as it enters into the dark shadow. And you get this very strong contrast of, oh yeah, the moon is a lot darker right now. And when it's thoroughly immersed in the umbral shadow, you say, yeah, the moon doesn't normally look that red or that dark when it's full. So it's got to be a much more dramatic effect before the eye picks it up. I've looked at penumbral eclipses and they don't do a whole lot for me. But partial lunar and total lunar eclipses are really cool. So here's a drawing of, of what's going on in this. And I, again, I've exaggerated the scale here. Remember that the actual tilt of the, of the moon's orbit is five degrees. And the moon is 60 times the Earth's radius away. So if I wanted to do this as a model, we'd be drawing this across the stage. So I'm going to just exaggerate it here. We have the umbral shadow of the Earth and the penumbral shadow. If the moon misses, it's completely uneclipsed at full moon, and I'm standing here and I see essentially a full moon. Again, I've exaggerated the scale so it's easy to see. If I get completely immersed in the umbral shadow, I have a total lunar eclipse. And again, the equator of the Earth is this way, so this is the tilt, the way the tilt works. A partial lunar eclipse occurs when only part of the moon passes into the umbra. So the moon is passing through the shadow this way and the other part is in the penumbra. It's darker than it would be if it was uneclipsed, but it's more subtle. And finally, I get a penumbral eclipse when the passage of the moon misses the umbra completely and passes through the penumbra. The penumbra is still pretty small when you take a look at the size of the region involved. So even penumbral eclipses, while more common, don't happen that often as, as compared to every single month we get a full moon. So these are the four basic positions that the moon can have with respect to the Earth and the Earth's shadow at full moon. We can be uneclipsed, which is most of the time, a total lunar eclipse, a penumbral eclipse, or a partial lunar eclipse. And those are the four basic configurations with respect to Earth's shadow. Here's a photograph of a total lunar eclipse. This is a beautiful photograph taken by Fred Espinak otherwise known as Mr. Eclipse. In fact, his website is mrecliPS.com. Fred is a, a scientist at the Goddard Space Flight Center and keeps track of eclipse tracking for visibility and things like that. This is a beautiful picture taken in October of two years ago when there was a total lunar eclipse visible from North America. How many of you saw it? It actually was visible from Columbus two years ago. I remember seeing it. My, my wife and I were at the theater and came out, and there it was. And It was just really beautiful. We watched the progress of this. Um, so... Here's the moon coming into the penumbral shadow, and you can begin to see it entering the penumbra, but the umbra is much more obvious. There's the shadow of the Earth. The umbra and the penumbra here, it's fainter, and as it digs in, you see the umbral shadow eat more and more into it until finally he had to crank the exposure time up to see the moon, and now you see the red scattered sunlight through the, the Earth's atmosphere giving you that ruddy effect. So we get this total eclipse of the moon. In fact, it's just a little bit, tiny bit starting to peek out of the umbral shadow there and a partial lunar eclipse. You really do see the contrast in this photograph here on the right between in the umbral shadow and in the penumbral shadow. That's why penumbral eclipses really are quite subtle. It doesn't take much sunlight to scatter in and really look bright. Even though the moon is only 7% reflective, that, the sun's really, really bright and that really, really emphasizes that. Here's a, a nifty little movie of a, a total lunar eclipse, this one from, from 2000 uh, January, and it's a little stop motion movie showing you what the progress is, and you can see that, that effect of the Earth's shadows sweeping across the face of the moon. These movies are really nice for visualizing this because this is a very slow, stately event. 
from first to last contact with the umbral shadow can last as long as an hour and 40 minutes. I mean, this is not, this is not exciting whiz-bang stuff. You've got to kind of watch it. It sort of unfolds in a very stately way. So lunar eclipses are, are, are really pretty cool. There is going to be a lunar eclipse coming up next March, which will be visible from Columbus. We'll say a bit about that towards the end of the lecture. Now that's a lunar eclipse. That's when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon, and the moon passes into the Earth's shadow. But the moon also casts one of these umbral and penumbral shadow cones behind itself, and there are times when the moon can get between the Earth and the sun and can eclipse the sun. Now, this is only going to occur when the moon is between the Earth and the sun, and that only occurs during the new moon phase. In fact, the height of the eclipse is right smack in the middle of new moon. So, lunar eclipses during full moon, solar eclipses during new moon, when everything lines up just right. Now, the moon is a lot smaller. The moon is a little less than a quarter the size of the Earth, and is 380,000 kilometers away. This means that everything's going to scale down. It's going to scale down by about a factor of four to five. As a consequence, the moon's umbral shadow is only about 380,000 kilometers long. This is just long enough to just touch the Earth, but it's not big enough where it touches the Earth because it's just coming down to a cone when it touches the Earth, so the Earth is never fully immersed inside the moon's shadow. And so the Earth never gets completely eclipsed. Only a small, tiny region of the Earth gets eclipsed. In fact, this 380,000 kilometers is an interesting number. Because remember last time when we talked about phases of the Moon, we told you that the Earth, the Moon, oh, sorry, the Moon, excuse me, has an elliptical orbit around the Earth. Sometimes it's closer than 380,000 kilometers, but at apogee, the furthest part, it's 405,000 kilometers. That means even the tip of the umbral shadow does not touch the Earth if the moon happens to be at apogee, at its furthest distance from the Earth. And this changes the characteristics of the eclipse, depending on not only whether the Earth, Sun, and Moon line up physically in space, but where the moon is on its elliptical orbit, whether it's at closest approach or furthest approach, determines whether we get a total eclipse at all at any location on the Earth, as we'll see in just a moment. Now, because the shadow just touches the Earth, you can only see an eclipse where you happen to be standing in that shadow. So the path of totality is only visible from a very, very narrow region on the Earth. We'll show some maps here in a second that show you just how narrow. It's only a few kilometers across in some cases. That's very different from the case of a lunar eclipse, where the moon gets completely immersed in the Earth's shadow. And if you're on the nighttime side of the Earth and would normally see the full moon, you will see some or all of the lunar eclipse, depending upon where you happen to be, whether the moon is rising or setting from your time zone at that instant. So a lunar eclipse is visible from the entire night side hemisphere of the Earth, north and south. A solar eclipse is only visible from very, very specific locations on the sunlit side of the Earth when it occurs. And this is what makes solar eclipses so really attractive to people, because you have to get out of your way to see one. I'm sure all of you have seen a lunar eclipse, but probably only a handful of you have actually seen a solar eclipse, although I know that there was one about 12 years ago that was actually visible from North Ohio. So this is unusual for an audience. It's very unusual to have an audience that live near an area where total eclipses of the sun occurred. So here's the picture again. Now we've replaced, put the moon between the Earth and the sun. 
we have the penumbral shadow and the umbral shadow. And here I've drawn the moon at a position pretty close to perigee, pretty close to the point where it's closest to the Earth. And I've even had to exaggerate the size of the shadow just so I can draw it on the screen. So we get the umbral shadow is the deep cone of complete darkness and the penumbral shadow. Now the big difference, other big difference with a solar eclipse is in the Earth, the Earth had an atmosphere and sunlight could scatter through that atmosphere and into the umbral cone of darkness behind the Earth and so the moon took on a kind of ruddy appearance. The moon has no atmosphere. It's a sharp edge. And so it is completely dark inside the umbra. There is no scattered light that comes around the mountains of the moon. There's no atmosphere to scatter light into the cone of darkness. So when you get into totality, you get into total darkness, or as close to total darkness as you can, as you can get anywhere on the Earth. This gives you some idea of what the size of these are. This is a, a spectacular photograph taken during a solar eclipse in August of 1999, taken from the Mir space station. This was the predecessor to the International Space Station. And you can see how small the little cone of darkness is here compared to the cloud cover. This is another reason why solar eclipses are kind of challenging to observe. You've got to make certain, you hope you didn't plan to travel to this place because you'd just be looking at, oh gee, it's getting dark, but there'd be clouds over your head. But there's the size of the spot of the of their moon shadow, but look at the size of the curve of the Earth there. So there's a really tiny, really tightly located. Just like with lunar eclipses, there are different types of solar eclipses. A partial solar eclipse is probably the one that most people will experience in their lives. I will confess I've never seen a total eclipse of any type of the, of the sun. I've seen lots of total eclipses of the moon, but I've never seen a total solar eclipse. I've seen lots of partials. The partial is when the observer is inside the moon's penumbra. So you've got to be in that, what size of that circle of the penumbra is actually visible. You've got to be standing there. And what I see is the moon only partially covering the sun. It never gets into complete darkness. And I call that a partial eclipse. And they're really neat. How many of you have seen a partial solar eclipse? Yeah, good, good, good fraction of you. That's probably the most common form. A total solar eclipse happens when the observer is right in that total dark shadow of the, earth, of the moon's umbra. And the moon, in those cases, in a total solar eclipse, completely covers the disk of the sun. It's an odd coincidence that the moon is approximately a half a degree across. So is the sun. The moon is just big enough to actually cover the sun completely during a deep umbral eclipse. However, because it's on an elliptical orbit, every now and then that eclipse occurs when everything lines up just right, but the moon is close to apogee. In those cases, the moon is too small to cover the, the sun. The tip of the umbral shadow is above the Earth's atmosphere. And in those circumstances, in fact, it's 20,000 kilometers above the Earth's atmosphere in the most extreme manifestation, the umbra does not touch the surface of the Earth, and so no part of the Earth is in the umbral shadow. Only the penumbra illuminates the Earth. In that case, what you see is what's called an annular eclipse. Annular for the word annulus, meaning a ring, not annual. Annual, as in happens every year, comes from the cycle of the year, has coming around as if on a ring. Okay, so an annular eclipse is when the sun looks like a bright ring with the dark moon smack in the middle of those. These are also fairly rare, but right now we're going through a period where the eclipse cycle is lining up pretty close to the apogee of the moon. And so as a consequence, there are a lot more annular eclipses occurring during the current, you know, current last few years than total eclipses of the sun. They're actually going to be harder to go somewhere on the Earth to see a total eclipse of the sun 
except it's going to get better for the next couple of years. So here's a, a partial solar eclipse. Um, this is uh, one from 2005 in October last year. This is a beautiful photograph from Grimberg in uh, Belgium taken by an amateur astronomer showing the moon just partially covering the sun. And you can see some, kind of the irregularities here on the edge of the moon. That's actually the mountains of the moon. In a good telescopic photograph like this, you actually get a silhouette of the mountains of the moon along the limb. Of course, the real spectacular show is the total solar eclipse. This is a beautiful uh, photograph taken by Fred Espinak, who in addition to putting up information on eclipses on the web, is one of those handful of enthusiasts in the world who travel to distant places to look at eclipses. And here's a nice composite photograph showing the moment of totality in which the sun is completely blocked, but you can now see the thin outer atmosphere or corona of the sun, which is invisible in the glare of the sun normally. And you can see sunspots, you can see the edge of the moon. You can really see this effect of the, of the sun sort of being devoured by the, by the, by the moon. Here's a, a little movie taken on the 1994 November eclipse by Fred Espinak, showing a little time-lapse movie of what it looks like. And you can really see this effect that the moon is just big enough to completely cover the disk, and then you get that sort of bright flaring and stuff around it as you begin to see the faint outer atmosphere of the sun. I've never seen one of these. I really want to go and see one. Um, my, my wife, back when we were just starting to date, her mother decided that she had to see a total eclipse of the sun. They went down to go see a total eclipse. It occurred in February in the Caribbean. So they went down on a sailing ship, and they saw it off the coast. I think it was off the coast of Antigua. I was up here teaching Astronomy 162, showing pictures of the eclipse on the web, and we were all grumbling because it was snowing. It was just really rude. But one of these days, we're going to go get to see an eclipse. You have to go out of your way to see these. Annular eclipses occur when the moon is far away, and the umbral shadow cone closes here. Well, it closes above the Earth. I never get a complete shadow of darkness here in the middle. And so as a consequence, the moon, the moon only partially covers the sun, and I get this ring. Now, there's an extra little, little bit of name here, this sort of Conti imaginary continuation of the cone of the umbra is called the anti-umbra. You don't call it the anti-umbra because in Latin they don't like to put nouns, uh, don't like to put nouns together, or not nouns together, vowels together in the words. So here's an example of an annular eclipse. The moon is now so far away towards the edge of its apogee that you actually can't, isn't big enough to cover the disk of the sun. And so you get this partial covering and you get this kind of ring effect here. This happened to be taken from a place where the ring barely closed at the location of this photograph. Again, Fred Espinak's site is full of photographs. These guys go crazy sharing their pictures. Now, those of you may remember, in 1994 May, there was an annular eclipse of the sun which was visible from the northern part of Ohio. If any of you lived in Toledo. How many of you saw the 94 eclipse? It'd be about 12 years ago. Yeah, few, well, that's really cool. How many of you saw it actually in the, in the totality zone where you saw the ring? Yeah, I didn't get to go. I was teaching on campus that day. But we set up a telescope on Smith Laboratory, our old astronomy building, and transmitted video out to the And people were just all over the place. They were really cool. These are really fun to watch. But I didn't get to go on the expedition because I had some other duties that day. I really kicked myself for not blowing off those duties. Maybe I'm just too responsible. Um, solar eclipses, whether they're annular or total, or even partial, are fairly localized, and they're fairly short. They're fairly quick events because the moon shadow is a lot smaller, and so things move a lot quicker. Whoa. 
The moon's umbra is at most 267 kilometers across on the Earth. That's the largest path of totality if everything is perfectly favorable. That would be the case of a solar eclipse at perigee, when the moon is absolutely at its closest approach to the Earth. But even then, totality is going to last seven and a half minutes from any given fixed location within the path of totality. That's everything being exactly right. Compare that to nearly two hours for a total lunar eclipse. So not only do you have to be in the right place, usually to within you know, tens of kilometers, but you better be everything at the right time and you better be on your toes because you know, at most you've got seven and a half minutes. Some of the recent eclipses, because the moon's been a little further out, the shadow's been smaller because we've been moving towards this period where the eclipses occur near apogee when the moon is starting to make annulars, the eclipse will, totality will last a minute or so. So you've got to really be on your toes. The photographers who do these things, they go nuts. I mean, they, they must have ulcers by the time they're done with this because their equipment's got to work now. And so it's, it's, it's probably exciting for them. I just like to watch. I wanted the low-tension version. My wife had the low-tension version. There's a picture of her that she's got wearing her eclipse glasses, standing on the deck of the ship with some rum-based drink in her hand. It's like, yes, that's, that's the right way to do it. Now, if you're in the umbra, you'll see a total eclipse. But if you move a few kilometers to the outside, you'll see a partial eclipse. So you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And if you're outside the penumbra, you don't see squat. There are lots and lots of eclipses where the moon barely grazes the sun in one place. And you go, you know, hold up your eclipse glasses. That's boring. But somewhere else, it's in totality and really spectacular. Here's an example of just how narrow the path can be. This is the 2001 June eclipse that I showed the movie of earlier. In fact, remember the Earth's surface is three-quarters ocean, so you've got to be in the right place at exactly the right time. This particular eclipse was only visible from Africa and a section of Madagascar or out in the South Atlantic where there just isn't a whole lot out there. In fact, a number of us many years ago before this eclipse, um, through a couple of different missionary organizations, sent... Um, high-tech mylar eclipse glasses to various of the mission schools and schools along the path here in Africa so that kids could be able to actually see this eclipse because it's so rare that one occurs from any given place. It's literally once in a lifetime. So this yellow band here is the penumbra. And you can see that even though children, say, in Uganda could see the eclipse, someone up here in northern Africa doesn't see a thing. And in the Sahara, the southern Sahara, you got only a partial eclipse of the sun. So you've got to be in the right place at the right time. Eclipses are really hard to see like this. They're very dangerous to look at. And I, I can't emphasize enough this, this comment that you have to be very, very careful when you look at an eclipse. When I, lunar eclipses are fine. You can look at those to your heart's content. If there's ever a solar eclipse, even partial or even a total one, do not ever look at it with the unaided eye. Even at the maximum totality, do not take your glasses off and have a look. Don't use, uh, what is it, photographic negatives or smoke glass or welder's glass or any of that stuff because the sun is producing light at all wavelengths and it will get in there and it will roast your eyes and you don't want to do that. There are, however, very special metallic films that have been developed which will allow you to look with some safety at the sun. I actually prefer not to use those except in extremists, like when it's really going to be cool to look at and only for short periods. The best thing to do is make a pinhole in a piece of cardboard and look at the projected shadow. Make yourself a pinhole camera. It's a whole lot safer. It lets other people watch it and you kind of share the joy, but um, really protect your eyes in the eclipses. It's extremely dangerous. I've, I've, I've seen pictures. I, I tried to find them, but they're kind of 
<laughs> gross to look at, of someone who looked directly at an annular eclipse, and there are these little annulus-shaped burn marks across their retina. So it's, it's really nasty. Don't, don't look at it with your eyes. But there's lots of great technologies out there for that. Okay, so that's my, that's my mommy exercise today. Don't put your eye out, kid. Well, why are eclipses so rare? Here I am. I'm, I'm a professional astronomer. I probably saw my first total, uh, first partial solar eclipse. I was five years old. And in my entire professional life, I have never seen a total eclipse. You have to go way out of your way. You have to get under, well, getting on a cruise ship in the Caribbean is a nice way to do that. But I have friends who've gone to like outer, literally outer Mongolia to observe these things. You've got to get, you got to get adventurous and get sick and stuff like that to go see these things. And you're going to get in the right place at the right time for three minutes. And if it's cloudy, well, that's just too bad. You've traveled all the way around the world to watch it rain on you in Ulaanbaatar or something like that. Now, why are these things so rare? Well, part of this has to do with the misalignment between the moon's orbit and the ecliptic. If the moon and the ecliptic lied in exactly the same orbital plane, we would have a solar eclipse on every new moon, and we would have a lunar eclipse on every full moon. And that doesn't happen. And the reason is that five-degree eclipse, five-degree tilt, means that you're only going to get an eclipse when you're within that very narrow region where the orbit of the moon intersects with the plane of the orbit of the Earth, the so-called ecliptic. The intersection between any two planes is a line. And that line has a special name. It's called the line of nodes. So the line of nodes is the intersection between the tilted plane of the moon's orbit and the plane of the Earth's orbit, the ecliptic. And in order to have an eclipse, the moon, the sun, have to be on the line of nodes. And it has to be either full moon or new moon. Now, obviously, the moon completes one orbit every month, so it passes through the line of nodes twice, once going below the ecliptic, once going above the ecliptic. But an eclipse is only going to occur if those crossings happen and it's the full moon or the new moon. If the moon crosses the line of nodes when it's first quarter, big deal. The sun is at a 90-degree angle away, and there's no way to get an eclipse. It only occurs when you're exactly on the fuller new phase, and you're on the line of nodes. So now you've got to require two things which happen a month, but on different cycles of time, lining up exactly. It's kind of like the question of, look at an old dial face clock. How often do the hour hand and the minute hand line up exactly? It's only a couple times a day, very rarely on the round number hour. So eclipses are only going to occur when the line of nodes lines up within a half a degree of the sun at either full moon or new moon. Why half a degree? Because that's the size of the sun and the moon in the sky, as seen from the Earth. So it's a convergence of a number of cyclic phenomena which have to line up exactly, except now it's basically a three-handed clock, and those three hands have all got to line up. Let me draw a picture of that, because that's just an awful lot of words. I'm ex exaggerating the angles again for effect. The sun. In the center, the Earth's orbit around the sun defines the plane of the ecliptic. The moon is on the lunar orbit plane, tilted by five degrees. Most of the time, there's no eclipse because the line of nodes, for example, and this way I've drawn it, the line of nodes is perpendicular to the sun-Earth line. In that case, the moon will be, as I've drawn it here, the moon will be above the ecliptic by five degrees at new moon and five degrees below the ecliptic at full moon. Rotate around slightly differently, 
I still miss the shadow of the moon misses the shadow of the earth, and the moon misses the shadow of the earth for a full moon. However, if I swing that orbit around such that at the time of full moon, full moon here or new moon, if the line of nodes is at the same location, then if new moon occurs when the moon is within a half degree of the line of nodes, I get an eclipse of the sun as seen on the earth. If the full moon is at the line of nodes at that time, I will get a total lunar eclipse. The moon will enter or graze the Earth's shadow depending upon how much it moves in and out. Now this cycle is fairly slow, and so it means that this is about a half a month. So usually there's a big enough window around the line of nodes, because you have to be within a half a degree, that when you get a total eclipse, you also often, a total eclipse of the sun, you also get a total eclipse of the moon at about the same time. And this leads to the effect of something we call the eclipse year. These cycles have all got to line up exactly right. The line of nodes lines up with the sun every 346.6 days. Not quite exactly one year, so that means it's going to drift with respect to the calendar. We call this 346.6 lineup period the eclipse year. But that's just the lineup with the line of nodes. I also have to have new moon or full moon occur when the eclipse happens. So what this means is, from any given location on the Earth, how often I can see a lunar or solar eclipse depends now upon the details of the geography, where you are in location. Lunar eclipses, because it can be visible from anywhere in the nighttime hemisphere, are much more common. From any given location, like Columbus, I will see a total lunar eclipse roughly every three years. If you think about it a little bit, that's about right. The last total lunar eclipse visible from Columbus was in October of 2004. The next one's going to be in March of 2007. Two and a half years, pretty close. Total eclipses of the sun only occur from the same location every 360 years. So if I saw a total eclipse of the sun from Toledo, I'm not going to see another one from Toledo for 360 years because the eclipse shadow is much smaller and you, it's a very highly localized phenomenon. So when are they going to occur? Well, the next total lunar eclipse is going to occur in March 3rd of next year. The last one, of course, was about three years ago, on October 28th of 2004. The next total solar eclipse visible from anywhere on the Earth is not going to be until August of 2008. We're currently in a time where the Earth just misses the shadow when the nodes line up. Now, if you want to go see this one, you're going to have to go to Greenland, Siberia, Mongolia, and China. It's not going to be visible as a total eclipse from anywhere else on the Earth. The next total eclipse near Columbus, you're going to have to wait a while, it's going to be in the year 2024. It's going to cross roughly north and west of Columbus, so it will still be in the state. But if you wanted one visible from home, you were too lazy to go travel out into the state, you will have to wait until the 14th of September of the year 2099 for a total eclipse of the sun to be visible from the OSU campus. And then again, I'm not 100% sure it will be visible from campus because the size of the shadow is pretty small. So if you ever get a chance, go out and see a total eclipse of the sun. I'll be jealous, and they're supposed to be really, really cool. Okay, I'll see you all tomorrow. <laughs>